welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind everyone to get signed up for the ABCA Virtual Convention January 6th through the 10th. You can do that at www.abca.org. We've been planning this event since June, and we are excited to get the event going. With our planning, we wanted to get the event as close as we could to the on-site convention. We just finished recording all 36 of our main stage and youth stage speakers here in Greensboro. It will be everything that you love about the on-site with main stage, youth stage, exhibit area, expo theater, and hot stoves. We have over 100 exhibitors signed up, so this will still be an opportunity for you to save on all your needs for your team or your facility. Please support those exhibitors that support us. They are the reason we are able to keep our dues and convention as the lowest of any association. There are so many great opportunities to grow as an educator during the convention. Anyone that signs up will have all the videos in their account a week after the event. The convention area will also be open for six months after the event, so that's a huge plus. Feel free to reach out to me at rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or via the MyABCA app if you have any questions on the convention. This will be something you want to experience firsthand. We're using the hashtag, hashtag in the front row right now. If that's something you like, let me know. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Cleveland Indians pitching coordinator, Joel Mangrum. Coach Mangrum is entering his second season as the Indians pitching coordinator. He went to the professional ranks from the college side in 2017. He spent two seasons in the system as pitching coach in the Arizona League. Prior to coaching with the Indians, Coach Mangrum had extensive experience at the college level, coaching at New Mexico State, Austin P, Milligan College, and Heinz College. If you need another reason to attend the virtual convention, Coach Mangrum is going to be there attending. He gives great insight in this episode on why you want to attend the event and what the ABCA has meant to his career. It's a great example of the learning leaders and the growth mindset we have in the baseball coaching community. We run the gamut here on player development, developing relationships with your players, site two this summer, and coaching in general. Get your notepad and paper ready. Let's welcome Joel Mangrum to the podcast. Here with Joel Mangrum, pitching coordinator for the Cleveland Indians, also New Mexico State, Austin P, part-time scout for the Padres in the beginning, Milligan College, Heinz Community College. So, Joel, uh, you and I go back a while here, so thanks for coming on. Ryan, thanks for having me. And I just want to dive right in. You know, what do you feel like coaches are doing a better job now than maybe they have in the past? Great question. Um I just think that uh, that when I first got into the business, um, I think coaching was really good. I, I think that um, for the time and for what we knew then, um, you, you know, there's always been that edge of, of wanting to be great. You know, I, I think coaches have always felt that way. Um, and, and I think that they are really pushing hard now to do the same. Um, and, and I think that – it's it's opened a lot of doors for coaches, but it's also opened a lot of minds. And I think that the fact of like there's so much information out there today 
and there's so many different avenues to get it. Um, I, I think that uh, the primary thing that coaches are doing today is is really pushing harder maybe than they ever have before to learn and grow and get better. Um, and, and I think that, like, in our sport and in our game, like, in particular, like, um, God, we've got so many really good people. Um, we've got so many really good people in the coaching industry, and they, they're hungry to get better. And, you know, no – Nobody likes that feeling of being left behind. And so I think it's a little bit of that peer pressure thing, you know, um, and, and it's interesting, like all the, the groups that I'm a part of the inner circles, um, you know, just listen to those guys talk They're they're hungry to, to want to know what they can do better for their players. Um, and I think that that's been there, but I think it's really emphasized now. What do you think coaches can do better? Great question. Um, I think just like with anything else, like to me, the number one thing with all this information, all the technology, uh, everything that's coming out there, I think the my hope is that the one thing that are, are really probably the two things that won't be left behind is the, the skill of building relationships. Um, just, you know, continuing to make sure that we really know our players, we really get to know them. Uh, on and off the field, um, the off the field component now, you know, with COVID and where things are in our world are, are you know, bigger than ever. And then also just the skill of coaching. Um, you know, I, I think the way that we communicate, uh, the way that we talk to our players, those things are, are huge. It's, it's bigger than ever. And it, and it continues, you know, to change as, as our players change. I mean, I think that, um, that players are not totally different than they were when I got back in. I think uh, coaches have changed just as much, um, but the ability to be able to communicate with them, speak their language, uh, put things in in the player's form of learning, and and that's the key, you know. That was eye-opening for me. Tony Dungy, they asked him, like, hey, what's your biggest strength? And he said communication. And then they asked him, what, what do you need to work on still? And he said communication. <laughs> like he said the same. So like that was eye opening for me. Like a guy probably maybe one of the best communicators of all time still felt like he needed to get better at communicating with his players, which was, was eye opening to me and how hard that is to actually get on the same level as the guys that you're coaching and continue to improve on that. Because you said it like the, the kids haven't changed. It's just, they're, they're a little different, like the, you know, with the phone, with the computer, the, their likes and dislikes. I have kids, their likes and dislikes are way different than my likes and dislikes at that age, but they're still just kids. So like, th that's the toughest thing with still trying to be able to communicate with that generation, especially as you get older too. It's a tough thing. No doubt. And you know, it, it's, it's crazy too. Like when I first got into coaching, it wasn't like, um, you know, if you were bringing information to a player, um, the, the first thought in your mind was, wasn't necessarily that, hey, they're going to go Google this when they get home. You know, it, it was like, you know, your first thought in your mind is, is like, OK, how can I coach this really, really well to where it keeps the light bulb above their head and it sparks that interest. And tomorrow when they show back up, they're still fired up, even though they probably fell a whole bunch today. But, you know, now it's like being able to explain that in depth. Um, and help them understand that, you know, there's more than one way to skim most cats. I mean, you know, whether it's movement or, you know, ball flight information or whatever it is that you're presenting to them or, you know, just the mental side of it and, and coming prepared every day. But to your point, like, 
Um, I also think that like the great coaches, like they, they love that, you know, they want their players educated. They want their players to feel like that what they're being told is, is right. And is right for them. Now that you've been on the pro side for a little bit here and you've had to deal with guys coming from the amateur side, what would you like to see out of amateur coaches, the way that they're coaching guys to maybe help them get a little bit more prepared for when you get them? God, I am, I'm probably really biased. Um, I, I think our amateur side is doing a tremendous job. I know there's, there's, you know, depending on who you talk to, there's mixed feelings on that or whatever. I, I don't personally feel that way. I just encourage, you know, all of our amateur coaches, our college coaches, our high school coaches to keep going, um, you know, continue to put the player first. Um, none of us are perfect. You know, I certainly was not perfect as a college coach, um, but, you know, I, I know, I know a large portion of our amateur coaches that, you know, the guys that I know are, they, they mean well, their intentions are good. They love their players. They love them like they're their own sons. Um, and, and I just, you know, I look at that and know that, you know, either side of the fence that you're on, you know, really we need to both be on the same side. And, and I think most amateur coaches feel that way. I feel like that, you know, they're trying to do everything they can, you know, for their guys. And um, I would say just continue to push forward with your knowledge, continue to push forward with your growth and investment in your player um, and just do continue to do the absolute best you can do. Um, and, and I think everything's going to turn out well for the player, you know, as, as well as it can. And um, it, it's funny. Uh, and Ryan, you know, this as, as well as anybody having, you know, been a college coach, been a coach, uh, you've got kids, you know how it is like this game. There's a certain, you know, part of luck to it. Um, and, and I think all of us want to do everything we can to try to, you know, prepare them as well. But you, you just know that sometimes like luck steps in. And um, but I, I just say continue to prepare the players well and continue pushing forward and doing what we're doing on the amateur side. I mean, I, I think it's they're doing a tremendous job. I, I think with guys like you, we have so many more guys that were on the amateur side that are on the pro side now. I, I see those walls starting to come down where everybody kind of sees it as with player development, everybody has those certain stages of where they're at, but it's actually, it does take a village to get a kid all the way to the big <laughs> leagues. I, I see all those walls starting to come down where it's like, okay, we're all in this thing together. And yeah, the ultimate goal for a player is to make it to the big leagues. Like we all have a certain part in that process where it's not that one side or the other now where everybody's kind of pushing together, which I think is awesome. I think it's a great time to, to be in baseball. I think it's awesome time to be in baseball. If you're a player in baseball right now, you are so lucky to have what you have. Like, um, and, and, and honestly, I would just say like from a player standpoint of like, you know, continue to, to surround yourself with as many people as possible that are really good. And I think there is a ton of really good people out there. Um, and to your point, like, I just think there's more merging now than ever, and it's only going to be beneficial to the player. You've been on the pro side I, I wrote this down. If you had to go back to the amateur side, now that you've been on the pro side for a while, what would you bring with you from the pro side back that, that you didn't have when you were coaching the amateur side? God, I, uh, so I, you, you hit on this, um, between Mike Federico and Brian Green and Gary McClure and some of the other coaches I worked for, Nathan Mead, like I worked for a, a ton of really, really good people. Um, 
the one thing, you know, it, it, it's all mid-majors. Um, and, Ryan, you've been there. You've seen it. Um, mid-major baseball is, is, in my opinion, is a lot of the heart and soul of, of college baseball. I mean, it's those guys are – are tremendous as well as doing a lot more with less. I mean, that's what it is. You're doing, you're doing more with, with less. No doubt. And, and I'm a junior college guy at heart, you know, I mean, like that's, that's probably where my, my love and passion for a lot of college baseball comes from. And um, so, I mean, I just think um, at times as a, as a college coach, I probably um, made more excuses for, for not finding more resources. I, I think that, like there's there's so many people out there, um, whether it's the tech companies or different informations, you know, uh, from baseball cloud to whoever that I, that I think are willing to work with you. Um, but you know, you, you've got to you've got to go approach them and you got to let them know what you got and what you can do and what you can't. And, and I just think um, if I had to go back, um, I would do everything I could to make sure that we had every single resource possible. Um, and you know, not making excuses for why we don't. Um, well, you're and, with you're with a small market team. I mean, you right. are. You know, you even have at that level. You know, what you guys are working with isn't with what some of the other organizations are with, and and you have a very forward thinking crew that that you're around that I think are finding ways. You know, I I talk to Justin Tool a lot just because I coached him and. I, I love talking to him because he's always bringing stuff. And like, I always ask, love asking him questions about what you guys are doing because you guys are doing more with less, even at that level as well. No doubt. You just got to block off a three hour block. If you're talking to Tuli, you know how it is, but yeah, I mean, Hey, listen, man, like we're pushing forward every single day. Um, I mean, our group between our front office and our coaches, um, our leadership group, like, they are, um, I mean, we have a call about it today. Like they're, they're literally going to do whatever it takes to be on the forefront of player development. And I think that, um, to your point, like we, we're not the biggest budget team, but I'll tell you this, I know that we spend every dollar and every penny in our budget towards it. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes we go over, um, but very rarely do we ever get told no, um, just because that's our lifeline. Um, you know, development. If you look at our big league roster, um, most of those guys in our on our infield, most of those guys in our outfield. Uh, obviously, our pitching rotation which gets a ton of attention. Um, you know, they they came up with us, or at some point in time, spent real time in the minor leagues, and so I think that that's huge for us. And and we just, to your point, we don't make any excuses. We just try to find a way. Those two years in Arizona. What did you learn the most with those two years in Arizona? Oh God, so much. Um, I, I felt like um, the, the confidence side of me coming into the Indians, uh, I felt like I, I probably had an undergrad and a master's in pitching. Um, turns out I probably just had a high school di- diploma, um, <laughs> you know, uh, just a ton um, from anything from the body to the ball to performance, what's important, um, how you communicate, um, you know, for I know this has been stated and probably overstated, but just uh, in Arizona, um, a lot of our guys are international, which is awesome. Um, seeing the passion that they have for the game, um, you know, but the the ability to communicate with them is huge. I mean, getting into pro ball, being able to speak Spanish, I think is huge. Um, my Espanol is not great, but it's getting better. Um, but 
that ability. And then also too, like understanding most of our guys in Arizona for the, for the large portion of them are younger. Um, and that training economy, like the weight room, uh, the SNC component can be as big towards their development as anything. Um, and a big part of, of our deal was, is really just getting their mind right, making sure that they understand that like um, wherever you're from, that like just being in pro ball is not the end goal. Um, yeah, you've made it. That's great. Congratulations. We're fired up to have you, but like, you know, now the bigger steps are ahead of you. You know, we, we've got to try to push forward and progress to the big leagues. Do you feel like being at the mid-major level helped you because you are comfortable with having to do a lot of different things at the mid-major level? You may have had to do the strength and conditioning. You, you have to do everything. Do you feel like that helped you a lot? A ton. It gave me a, a tremendous understanding. I, a lot of my really good friends that are still in college baseball, I, from time to time, ask that question of like, in your opinion, like if, you know, we are smaller budget, like if, if you had to spend money now, like make sure the S&C component is in line, um, especially with that, that uh, age group that you're going to have. Um, from 17 to 23 now with, you know, with COVID and the way that the, everything that's going on in the NCAA, but just the SNC component needing to be in line, but like uh, working back, yes, like not wanting to, you know, to hurt any of our players um, to harm, you know, not wanting to harm them, wanting to do good, I think um, made you a, as a mid-major guy or even as a junior college guy, do everything you can to research, learn, get better in all the different disciplines. And, and I think that that's key, um, that want and that drive. And, and that's probably prepared me the most, um, you know, for pro ball. And then the other component too is like, um, there's a large component in pro ball of development. Um, but I think that a, a big misconception is, is that winning is not important. Um, and the Indians definitely don't feel that way. Um, you know, winning is important to us at all levels. Well, um, well you, how, how can you ask a guy to spend four or five years in the minors of not focusing on winning and then you expect him to be ready to win at the big league level? It's a culture. We, you know, winning is learned just as much as, as any other skill. Um, and, and I think balancing that act of like, hey, today, like going in, we've been working on the slider, like you need to get some of those in. And then it's like, you know, at the lower levels, Ryan, I'm sure you know this, like you can look up and they can be really close to that pitch count. And it's like, hey, dude, okay, we kind of got to bang this because you don't want to burn the bullpen. Like we need you to get through your two primary pitches. You know, we'll, we'll get some sliders in or whatever the pitch is that you're working on, you know, after the outing or, or in your bullpen or whatever, you know, let's let's go for it next time. And I think a combination of, of just managing everything um, is really what like being at the mid-major um, level teaches you, you know, I mean, and, and like, you know, this too, when you're a, a mid-major coach, you're also, there's a large component of recruiting. Um, and like, I, I just think like, you know, we just got through that remote coaching cycle um, where most of our coaches were literally coaching remotely since, you know, May or June. Um, and I, I think back to like college days, I mean, that's literally what you're doing while you're on the road. You know, you got the phone call to, hey, walk me through your bullpen today. How'd it go? What were you seeing? You hope you get some video back in time. Most of it's from an iPhone. You know, your head coach is, is spending 15 or 20 minutes in the bullpen filming stuff. You know, he's doing the best he can do. Um, but then you're walking through your players that night. And, um, 
for me, that was the struggle as a mid-major coach was like feeling a little bit like, you know, um, well, yeah, would, you're, you know, you're removed, like you're removed from the process a little bit, but, but it, you have to, because if you don't get good players, you're not going to win any games. Like, you, you know, the recruiting at the mid-major level, because you're going to get told no a lot, you know, that, those are all things. Recruiting is really important. So important. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's your lifeline at the college level. You know, I mean, you can literally have the best coach in the country, but like if he doesn't have great players, you know, we all know that it doesn't matter. Are there more things that you can control now as a pro coach than you could on the amateur side? I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, I think we all know that the game is is the best teacher. Um, and, you know, from from a pro standpoint, um, we absolutely want to win, but there's a lot of teaching moments within the game. And I think that a lot of people are doing a tremendous job of trying to create environments during practice. Um, and those are great. And those are getting closer to the game. Um, but within the game, there's, there's a lot more things that you can do. Um, especially cause you know, like you played when you, when you play somebody that has a different Jersey on and is sitting across the dugout, you know, or a different dugout from you, like, there's a different feel to it. There's a mental side to it. That competitive edge comes out versus, you know, the guys that would compete in a, you know, in a phone booth against their mother. Like those guys are not always there. Sometimes it does take another team and like, you know, to create that atmosphere. So I, I just think like the fact that we do play more games, the fact that we do have that environment, um, a little bit of like in college, you have a midweek, you have the weekend series, you know, and, and that really goes from mid-February to hopefully the end of June. Whereas in pro ball, I mean, you know, it, it really starts in February and it goes till September, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's you, you have a little a few more opportunities to be able to control it. Um, and then, you know, I, for us, the big thing is, it's just like our information um, and being able to present information just about on anything to a player, you know. I apologize to the coaches that I played for because I was an awful practice player. Like if we weren't playing for something, like it didn't mean anything to me. Like I couldn't, I was trying, but I couldn't get going if we weren't playing for anything. And I think coaches now do a great job of adding competitive side to practice that we didn't have as much back then when we weren't playing that I just, I needed to play for something. So I, I wish that I was playing now because I think there's, way more competitive components, which is necessary. We don't have as many multi-sport athletes that we deal with, so they don't get as many opportunities to compete where you have to bring a little bit of that competitiveness to, to practice. You know, what are some of the things that you're adding on your side outside of the, the playing portion that maybe brings some competitiveness to the training side of it? Yeah, great question. And and I would apologize as well. I know I probably was not the greatest practice player either. Not that I was the most talented player either, but um, I just think doing different things with bullpens, um, not just, you know, sitting 60 feet, six inches away in a bullpen, um, adding a control the running game aspect to it, at least um, adding in constraints, running point systems, um, having guys compete, alternating pitches, um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to, to create competitiveness. Um, and, and I think that honestly, like we, we look at it from a, a multifaceted uh, approach of like, hey, we're going to have bullpens where, 
you know, the focus is like, you know, Derek Johnson talks about over the rubber. Um, there's approach to where it's, you know, it's at home plate. Um, you got to attack the mind and have a competitive bullpen. Um, and then you also need to give some freedom to guys and, and do more, you know, information capture, data capture, and just let them, you know, let them have a normal bullpen. And so I, I think that those, those four cycles, um, we really try to allow our guys to rotate through uh, in some capacity. Um, and, and I think that part of that is a competitive pen. And, and it may be, um, you know, I, I know a lot of pro hitters don't necessarily always like to stand in during bullpen. So just trying to create a constraint, um, whether it's, you know, stand in dummies, um, strings, uh, just different objects at home plate. I mean, we've even got as creative as using trash cans and covering up a half part of the plate or covering the whole plate to work on fastballs up. Um, you know, and, and I think generally most people are good. Um, that's my opinion. And so I, I know as a, a pitcher standing 60 feet, six inches away, the first time you hit an object and it deflects and hits your catcher, you feel about as bad about that as the catcher feels getting hit. You know, like th there's there's very few guys that truly don't feel bad about that. So I, I just think being creative in that manner um, – I you think know. the strings are the cheapest thing you can do that that the most bang for your buck for a pitcher and catchers working on deflections is putting strings in your in your bullpen area so they can see it yeah. and I, just especially b bottom and top of the zone I just think it gives guys a chance to see what they're looking at and allows them to to work with their stuff much better than if they're just throwing to a catcher. Man, Ryan, I, I agree. And and we've got some really creative coaches like um, our double A coach, uh, Tony Arnold, when he uses the strings, he puts little ties on there for actual spot to like try to hit. And the cue is like, hey, how fast can you spin that tie around? We've got other coaches that will put bail on the strings and they'll narrow the gap in between. And it's like, OK, you're actually trying to hit the string so you can get feedback from ringing the bell. And it's literally like, how many times can you ring the bell? Um, and so that to your point, I, I think it's super cheap. I think it's really creative and it can give a lot more feedback, you know, to the guy on the mound. My four years at James Madison with Spanky McFarland, he, for me, he was one of the brightest pitching minds that I had ever been around, but he had a winter league with guys where he started with just a, a car tire where they would get points for putting it in the car tire. And then he would put tape on the car tire the spots they were hitting, and then he graduated to wheelbarrow uh, tires in five spots that they got points for with a winter league, which I had never seen, but I thought it was f fascinating and always developed arms. You know, Spanky did such a good job of developing arms because of all those small things. No doubt. Like I, you know, I can remember being a part of some of the smaller colleges and doing probably now people will laugh at me. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Nathan Mead, for some of the things we were doing at Milligan College, but just literally like putting a tarp behind home plate, you know, setting up um, brick to basically hold a bat and, you know, having competitive bullpens where it's like, can you find the bat? You know, what part of the bat can you find? Can we miss the barrel? Taping off the barrel literally on the bat. And it's like, you know, just creating ways of like trying to find command, trying to find competitive avenue, um, you know, I think those are all great. And I, and I think like there's still a ton of really good pitching coaches that are doing those things and they're advancing. You know, now if you look at some of, <coughs> excuse me, 
if you look at some of the pads that are out there and some of the target stuff that, that people have going on, I mean, it's tremendous. Well, Justin, he and I talked about Jeremy Langer. I think he, he talked to your organization, the, the uh, test cricket coach from Australia, but I watched that documentary and they had their bowlers. That's what their pitchers are called as bowlers for their practice. They had target practice and they were keeping points and, the, the guys that scored higher were the ones that were going to start their competition, the test competition. Um, you know, coaches listening in, if you haven't watched the test on Amazon Prime, I, I rolled through all eight of those episodes in like two days because it's a fascinating story. The Australian cricket team had a like a ball. They were taking – it was like a ball scandal. They were taking uh, sandpaper and scuffing the ball up, which was illegal, so they got in this trouble. And then so Jeremy Langer had been on the cricket test national team, and they hired him. Just fascinating with changing the culture. Um, he's been on a couple podcasts, Michael Gervais' podcast. It's great for how he changed culture. And then some of their training stuff, which is very similar to what baseball guys are doing. I thought it was fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, to your point, I mean, like that's another avenue where a lot of college coaches and pro coaches and, and just baseball people in general, like I, I feel like there wasn't, there was some learning from other sports, you know, when I first got into college baseball um, as a coach, but like it's, it's huge now, um, you know, and, and the one thing that we all are as baseball coaches, we're all great thieves. Yes. Like if, you know, there's nothing that I'm currently doing that I invented, you know, with my own brain, it's, it's been done before. And it's like, maybe you tinker with a thing or two, but, um, but stealing things from other sports is tremendous. You know, I mean, you can even look at what we're getting from golf, from the biomechanics side and just all that. Your time with Ash Lawson, what'd you learn? Oh, patience. Um, he is a great mentor. I love him. Um, you know, the, the one real summer that I spent with him, um, and wasn't sure he was supposed to be taking me around or not, but, but he did, um, you know, spending time in the Appalachian league, um, and just sitting in the stands and like, okay, what do you see? Um, and him asking me and then like, you know, having to, to give it to him, you know, exactly what I see. And, you know, Ash is a guy that is not a whole lot of fluff. Uh, he's pretty direct. Um, and then like when you break it down with him, just being able to go, okay. And, and, and honestly, like I credit him personally a lot for my evaluation skill, uh, as a recruiter, I, I learned a tremendous amount about evaluating, um, infielders and hitters and pitchers and, and all, of, you know, anything and everything in between, but just his attention to detail. Um, you know, he, he never did a ton of talking in the stands, um, it was uh, you'd literally go two innings and then he'd pop up with a question and be like, Hey, you know, what do you got on that? You know, on that third baseman, it's like, well, I was sticking to the middle, you know, I was looking at the catcher, the pitcher, the middle infield and, and the center fielder, <laughs> you know, I, I, I personally was not looking at the third baseman, you know, and, but just his ability to see everything. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I love is he never follows the ball, you know, like, um, when, when you're evaluating players, I think all of us as baseball fans, the ball's hit, or the ball's thrown, we follow the ball. Like that's, a, you know, innate move. And, and he really learning that from him, he never, that was, that he never did it. When you say patience, like he showed you patience, what, give me an example of, of when he was patient. So 
just would let you continue to talk, you know, even though, you know, he probably felt like you were a little off or felt like you were a little wrong in your evaluation. Um, he always, uh, we talk about it a lot, kind of coach approaching um, your coaches or coach approaching people, but he, he asked really good questions. Um, like, why did you see that instead of just jumping right in? And so I, I felt like for me that helped me learn, but it also like put a sense of urgency of like being prepared for what I'm speaking on. And like, you got to lock into the game. Um, you know, you can't be on your phone. Um, you need to take really good notes. Like note taking was a huge thing um, that he did. Now he did some of it on his phone. He did some of it on a small pad, but just, but he always had patience with me and would let me finish my sentences or let me finish my description and then would circle back. It may be a day later. It may be that night. Um, it may be right then and there. Um, but he always had patience that way, whether it was good or bad. Those two years in Arizona, you know, you talked about like difference between development and then winning. How much are you going over opponent scouting reports at the rookie level? Great question. Uh, probably more than most. Um, we, you know, it, it's all an education. Um, and, you know, you don't um, – one thing that we are tremendous at is like presenting information that is completely objective. You know, we try to remove – as much as we can, the, the subjective part. I mean, I think we all know there's some error in data. Um, but one thing, we've, we've got some guys in our front office that, um, you know, I, I kind of laugh. I feel like they should be saving the world or, or you know, stopping COVID as opposed to working for a professional baseball team. I mean, they're so freaking brilliant. Um, but, like, it, it, you want that education component, at least, like, initiating that conversation of, hey, this, as you move up, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have plus minus meetings post game. You're going to have meetings before the game. You're going to be presented with information. Like you need to know what vertical break is. You need to know, you know, where a guy swings and misses. You need to know what a sky zone looks like, you know, because if our coaches at the upper levels are teaching that too, um, you know, they don't have as much of a, of a time to like really dig deep into it. And so I think that you want to lay the platform, um, and, and get all the basic stuff out of the way. And so we, we spent anywhere from 30 minutes to, to some days an hour, but it wasn't, it wasn't always just like, it may be 15 minutes on the opposing lineup and it may be three guys. Um, the thing that we tried to do the most was after about a week of it is start having the players lead those meetings, um, and, and tee it up for them, um, give the information to the guys the day before, you know, maybe the starter that had just pitched the day before, it's like, okay, here's the information, you're leading the scouting report. And it's like going over our pitcher's strengths was probably the biggest thing that we did um, is starting with that. And it's like, okay, you know what pitch, you know, pitch one for you is, it's your fastball or whatever it is, right? Where's your target zones? And actually drawing up a strike zone on the on the uh, dry race board, like that's the one good thing in Arizona is we've got a dry race board just about in every single room. We have them in our bullpens in our plow care area. Um, but having the guys actually draw it out and circle it and color it in and just understanding where we're trying to go and then having the catcher be a part of it. Our catchers were always in all those meetings um, and, and going back and forth and, you know, and then understanding like, you know, you don't always have your best pitch some days. Um, what are we going to do off of that? You know, because there's as much of like, yeah, we have a goal of maybe we're trying to get so many pitches in or maybe we're trying to use a certain pitch for a certain percentage or whatever it might be. Um, but 
the other part to it too is is like learning how to get through a game and not blow your bullpen up, you know, so that it doesn't affect your team for the next three days. And I think that those discussions were as much about the strength of the pitcher as it was going through a lineup. But we, ab- we absolutely went through the basics of all of it and probably at times maybe went a little bit deeper. Ryan, you know me pretty well. I, I, uh, I tend to go all in <laughs> and I'm very OCD with it, So as, as you are aware. Well, how many times in a baseball game does it go exactly the way you thought it was going to go? Never. <laughs> never. It never goes. So you have to prepare for the alternate because it's never going to go the way you expect it to go. So you have to prepare for the other scenarios that if this happens, then what? If this happens, then what? You have to because it's not going to go the way that you thought it was going to go. No doubt. And and the the bet the like to me the the part of player development that like fires me up the most is like when you know what your guys can handle and in between innings like having that conversation with the catcher and the pitcher of like hey like you know you probably can't get into detail of like um you know talking a little bit of delivery it's probably more competitive but the sequencing component of like what are you feeling today like it looks like you have your best fastball um, you may be spraying it a little bit more, but you have your best fastball. Let's simplify. Let's think more top and bottom than in and out or whatever, you know. Um, but I just think like some of that component of that communication in between innings and, and teaching um, and letting them talk is is probably the things that I enjoy the most. Um, I, I tell you, like I spent, um, I guess, three and a half months at site two. Um, and we had guys, I was going like, to ask like, you that. How, how yeah. was, how was it at site two? So I, I would say, um, at times it's tough on the players a hundred percent, um, because they're all there and they all want to be in the big leagues. Um, you know, it, it, it's got that a little bit of that triple a feel minus like getting to play outside competition and, and our staff, like Andy Tracy, um, I don't know if you know Andy or not, but, uh, God, Tremendous human being, great baseball mind, great baseball guy, just some of the environments that he created. Um, but the the learning aspect of hearing, like when Berto was down there rehabbing, listen to him talk to some of our younger pitchers that are on our 40-man or are really close, like approaching hitters, um, just, you know, and just sitting back and going, great, Berto, run it. Like, that's really freaking sick. Like, and then watching our guys' eyes light up, you know, and hearing Berto, like, challenge guys and go, like, Dude, you're as talented as anybody we have on our team. You should be up there helping us right now, but you're not because of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, really? Like, awesome. Glad you said that because we're all challenging the same thing, you know. But those, you know, the players will teach you as much as we teach them. You know that, Ryan. Like, and, and it's it's it was an unbelievable experience, personally. Your guys that were shut down then, you got through instructs, right? So you were able to, to allow those guys to get some work in this fall? Right. Yep. So we, we actually, um, how excited were those guys to get going again? They, they were, they were, um, you know, a lot of our, um, so we actually treated the COVID period for the guys that could, that had the resources, which is a large portion of our guys, our, our international guys did a tremendous job as well. Um, but we treated it like, or, or tried to like a season and kept them on the mound all the way through. Um, you know, we, we, had that brief time in March where it was, you know, that transition period of getting guys there or getting guys home, excuse me. Um, and then it was all about, okay, let's figure out what resources we have. What can we do that doesn't put you in harm's way? Um, and then we really kind of got going in May 
Um, and that, that went all the way through the end of September. Um, but for our players that got to participate in, in fall instructs, you know, getting to compete against Kyle Bodie and the Reds every day, um, you know, that, that was a lot of fun. But just getting to see our guys do what they love to do, and that's competing in the game. You know, Justin and I have talked a lot. I liked that you would, in the offseason, I don't know what you guys will do now, but where you would bring guys back in spurts where it's not you, like, have them and then you shut them down and you don't see them till spring training, where you kind of bring them back in spurts. Is that something maybe you guys will, will continue to do? Absolutely. Um, so our plan right now, uh, like any other year, it's a little bit less player volume just because of COVID. Um, there's obviously more restrictions there. Um, you know, bringing them in, they have to quarantine, they have to be tested, um, and they have to be tested several times a week throughout. Um, but yeah, our plan is, is the same. I mean, our, our leadership group, our, our owner, our organization is committed to player development. Um, and so having camps throughout, whether it's three week spurts or four week spurts for pitchers, um, and then monitor them in between, whether it's velo camps or pitch design or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're fully committed. We've got one coming up in December. Our plan is January and February as well. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever major league baseball and, um, you know, this pandemic will allow for sure. But I mean, that's, that's our organization. I think that that's at the, at the root of everything. That's why we have such a good reputation is at our core. It's, it's how can we make our players better both on and off. Any youth players that are listening in right now, what recommendations do you have for them? God, uh, enjoy playing. Um, you know, definitely. I, I think when I played and Ron, you touched on this earlier, uh, you played multiple sports. I'm still a big believer in that personally. Um, I, I think even growing up playing, you know, football and baseball and soccer and some of the other sports, um, you know, you, when you love baseball, you're still going to make time during the week to go play catch or go swing a bat or, or do whatever. Um, you know, even when you're not in that season. But I would say, uh, one, play more, you know, play the game more than, than you do train. Um, I just think that, like, a large component of that is um, learning or continuing to learn how to play the game. I think that that's a huge key. Not that training is bad. I think there's definitely a time and a place for it and you need to do it. But the youth guys, I would say, play multiple sports. Um, put yourself in competitive um, atmosphere and, and parents, please let them play. Um, let them enjoy it. I've thrown that question out quite a bit here recently. For the single sport athlete, what role does strength and conditioning play in teaching competitiveness to kids? Huge. Um, I'm, I mean, if you're a single sport athlete and you don't love the weight room, you're probably behind. Um, I, I literally, if, if I had you know, a $50,000 um, budget for player development at a high school or whatever it is, or 20,000 or 10,000, I'd probably spend 80% of that on strength and conditioning. Um, I, I think that like the information is, is huge. The technology is tremendous. Um, but given the age group that you're working with, strength and conditioning is pivotal. Well, look at the football landscape. The one of the highest paid coaches is a strength and conditioning coach. And you would see the same thing on the baseball side in college if there were the resources to to throw at the strength and conditioning guy. The strength and conditioning baseball coach would be one of the highest paid guys if you had the resources to throw it at them. 
No doubt. And, and I think, but you know, at the places that it's not, I mean, just like now, like, I mean, I'm working through, you know, getting CS, getting my CSCS, like, um, I wish I'd have done that a, a long time ago. I mean, my background is in kinesiology. I should have done it then out of college, but I was so fired up to get on the road and recruit because I felt like at the time when I was coming in as a college coach, it was like, if you were recruited, you had a chance to, you know, to, to move up to the different levels and you had a chance to impact college baseball. But like, I think now, especially both sides of the ball, really. But um, if, if, to your point, if you don't have the budget, if it's not big enough, if you've got $1,500, I'd try to spend that $1,500 on, you know, educating a a coach that, that can really, really be really good in the, the strength and conditioning aspect of it. I mean, look, there's no substitute for strength and power and speed. You know, I mean, and if you can maximize that, um, your players got a much better chance on the field. Who was your favorite coach growing up? Who? <laughs> well, so growing up in Mississippi, um, I grew up an Ole Miss fan. But personally, um, I loved uh, LSU baseball. I loved Skip Bertman. Um, I just, you know, when you grew up in the, in the 80s and the 90s, like, they were the thing. I mean, I went to LSU baseball camp you know, a, a bunch. I don't know how my mom afforded it. I don't know what they did. I don't know how my dad got me there most times. Um, but that's where we went. And uh, Skip Bertman for me. I love it. I'm huge. He, he changed, you know, there's three guys, you know, him, Ron Polk, and then Ron Frazier at Miami changed the landscape of college baseball and took it to a, a different place. Everybody owes them a show of gratitude because they they made it an environment you know they they made it like minor league baseball is now where it is an environment you have a lot going on you promote the game you know they always talk about Ron Frazier doing like $3,500 dinners on Miami's field to raise money for the program and just created that whole environment and really showed the blueprint for that you can make baseball revenue producing sport if if you want to invest the time and the energy and the resources into it you can turn a college baseball program into a revenue producing sport. Absolutely. And, you know, those names are like our Mount Rushmore, you know, I mean, you just think about what those guys have done. I mean, um, coach Polk, tremendous, tremendous person. Um, you know, I, it, it's hard still to, doing it. I mean, he's still doing oh, it. Yeah. No doubt. And he loves it. You know, like uh, I, I think like, an end goal for me, like if, if I can look back on my deathbed and say, like, you know, I was able to do, you know, I was able to be happy with with, you know, with my life in baseball. It's like, how can you live as close to that Ron Polk life as you can? <laughs> I think there's two, like him and Scott Pickler, Scott Pickler from Cyprus, yeah, who coaches yeah. YD in the yeah. summer. Like he's got the best gig going. He's he's at Cyprus oh. during the year and then he's at YD in the summer. Like you can't write it up any better than that. No doubt. No doubt. And especially being a coach in Southern California, it's like, that's a no brainer as well. You know, do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something along the way that you thought maybe would have sidetracked you, but looking back now, maybe the best thing that ever happened to you? Oh, great question. Um, so I would say, um, fail forward moment for sure is, uh, like my first opportunity. So Gary McClure gave me my first opportunity in division one baseball. Uh, I love the man. He's a tremendous, tremendous mentor to me. Um, you know, I, I think my fell forward moment was really my first year. Um, it was uh, w- with him. It was probably 
uh, as far as success, one of our worst years. Um, I think and, we played you guys that year. I think Iowa, I think we came, yeah, we came down to your guys' tournament. I think Illinois State was there too. I think my dad was yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that. And, and you know, I, I think we had a much better team talent-wise um, and in particular on the mound. I mean, and, and um, obviously I was the pitching coach. And Well, yeah, you uh, had Rodgers, right? Well, so Rodgers came later. Rodgers okay. was uh, 2012 and 2013. Okay. But we had Ryan Harper, who's pitching the big leagues. And we had, you know, we ended up with like six guys off that pitching staff, um, you know, pitching the, you know, pitching pro ball. And so you would think just with that alone at the mid-major level, you would have been really good. But clearly the pitching coach screwed it up, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, at that time, like. Um, what would you have done differently? I mean, if you could go back and do it again and tell your, you know, your first year at Austin P. self, like, what would you tell yourself? Shut up more. Um, you know, listen more. Um, Gary clearly had been super successful long before I'd ever gotten there. Um, try to learn from him, um, you know, and and um, that's part Jake of being Peterson. a young assistant, though. Like I, I try to educate the young coaches on that, and I I probably don't do as good enough a job. I think I come across maybe abrasive at times. Like I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just from personal experience. What worked for me, I think we have a lot of great veteran coaches out there that have, have been in those guys' shoes, and maybe it doesn't come across that way, but guys are trying to help guys. Like, you're going to make mistakes, but, like, don't get in the room and tell everybody how much you know because it it's just a bad look, and I'm just we're just trying to help you stay away from some of the pitfalls that we all went through at that age. No doubt, and I was super guilty of that, like – uh, to those guys on that 2010 team, I'm sorry. You know, I, that's you know, that's all I know how to do now is just apologize. And I, and I think about like Jake Peterson, um, our other assistant that year. Like, in, you know, he's an Austin P guy. Played there, uh, had been coaching there. Was incredibly patient. Um, he always tried to make uh, subtle nudges to me about you know just the approach. And um, but you know, I, I just think like sometimes you have to go through that. Um, and for me, I, I needed it. Uh, it was really humbling. Um, you know, and we were in an era where, um, there was a couple bad years there and, um, and I, and I certainly contributed to that in 2010. Um, but, but it's funny, like, you know, when you're in the middle of that, that doesn't always look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you, you know, uh, I I've think been there multiple times. I've been there no multiple doubt. times. No doubt. And you're like looking at it and it's like, you know, I think in your gut, you know, you're, you know, you're messing it up. Um, and whether you admit it to other people or not, and, and I certainly had those feelings and like, you know, feeling like the world is just caving in on you. And, and I think the, the big moment there is just don't become self-consumed, you know, be able to communicate, go to your mentors, talk to them, uh, talk to your head coach. Don't lose that communication part um, because there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you're always just, you know, I just think it's when when it starts to slide in anything in life, you feel like you're the only one that's ever gone through it. And that's not the case. Like a million people have gone through it. So there's going to be somebody out there. If you pick up the phone or text, like somebody has gone through it that can help you work through whatever you're, you're having issues with. No doubt. And, And I can remember this really, uh, vividly from a pitching standpoint, feeling like I was failing our guys. Cause I was, 
and picking up the phone and calling DJ or calling Fred Corral and like, you know, love those two men, like, because they're just going to tell you the truth. And, and I needed to hear that truth. And, and I credit, you know, Gary, I credit Jake Peterson, but I, I credit those two guys in particular as well, because they always, you know, looked at you and, and just told you the truth and instead of what you wanted to hear, you know, it was never coddle you. It was never any of those things. It was like, Hey man, like maybe you got to do a better job, you know, maybe you need to think about how you can do a better job here. Here's some suggestions. And, um, I credit those two men a, a, a ton for helping out in a, in, you know, in a young person's life. And I think that that's too, like a lot of our older people in our game now are so good at. Um, and I hope that as I progress in the game of baseball, that I can do some of that for our younger coaches as well, to your point. Yeah. Yep. We, we have some great ones and uh, young coaches listening in, reach out to guys like, we all had guys that helped us when we were younger that we want to help guys now because we were in your shoes at one point and had to go through all those struggles. There's so many resources and coaches out there that are that the elders, you know, I like to call them the elders, you know, you're sitting around the, the campfire after the hunt, you know, that's what they did in the old days. The elders would tell stories and, you know, we miss a little bit of that now. We don't have as much of that anymore, and I think we miss a little bit of that. There's a little bit more mentoring on the side um, back in the old days that we don't have as much, but there's still great resources out, but you do have to pick up the phone and reach out to guys because no one's no one knows if you're struggling. Nobody. Um, you know, no. as a competitor, if you're a competitive coach, you're going to put on a good front, and that's what you're supposed to do. But, you know, again, if you're struggling, man, reach out to guys. There's so many good guys I out there. Could not, could not echo that more. Um, I just think, like, to your point, that front can get in the way at times. You know, as, as men, we don't always like to look like we have a sensitive side or, or we need help. I, I'm Ask my wife. I'm just as guilty about that as anybody. Um, but to your point, like, allow yourself to be mentored and, and create a circle that can impact you. And, you know, if, if, if I had some advice on that, I'd say, make that circle as big as you can. Yep. You know? Cause you're going to pick up different things from not just baseball guys too. have some guys in there that, or, or women in there that aren't in your baseball circle. I got a lot from people outside the baseball world uh, that were in the business world, just that helped me think about things differently. Um, you know, cause if you're just in that mindset of just one thing only, you don't get as many creative ideas. You're going to get a lot of different ideas from other avenues that if, if you dive into some other things, it's going to probably help you in a roundabout way on the baseball side too. Absolutely. And Hey, look, my wife was a, was a head softball coach at the division one level. Trust me. I've stolen plenty of things from her. Plenty of things. Just ask her. She'll tell you too. So <laughs> do you have any set morning or evening routines that you like? That, that help you stay on top of things? I know you, your schedule's crazy. So do you have any set routines that you like? Absolutely. Um, so um, for me, number one thing that I try to do every single day when I wake up is, is uh, so I'm a Christian. I try to spend time in the word. Um, you know, for me, the, the big thing um, that I'm struggling with currently with that is like doing it on my phone. And we all know what our phones look like, whether it's notifications or texts or, you know, and, and I'm super OCD. I, like I, people that have like a thousand emails in their inbox, I don't know how they survive that way. I, I literally would have a nervous breakdown. But 
I, I usually try to start with that. Is it an uh, app or the, is it just stuff that you're picking just up? Just the Bible app. Okay. Yeah, just a, just working through the Bible app. But I'm actually um, so our our pastor here, at, uh, the church that we go to, CCV and Verado. Um, we were talking a couple nights ago, and he's like, "Why don't you just try this next year of just like actually doing it in the Bible?" <laughs> instead of on your phone. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to actually push that forward. I've not actually read the Bible front to back, like the actual Bible. I've done it on my phone, um, but never, never the hard copy. And I use the library so. a lot. And so I'll, I'll check out books first to see if I want to buy them, but I always miss the not being able to write in the, the book when I have a book that I, I really like. Um, I, I always pick up books because I don't want to pay for them first, but if I really like them, then I'll go back and buy them. But I do miss not being able to write notes in the pages as I'm going and highlight stuff. No doubt. And, you know, following that, like I, I, I try every single morning um, and most mornings I'm pretty successful of when I grab my, my cup of coffee, I'm a caffeine addict. Uh, it's probably, um, for sure one of my vices but then i just try to get something educational for me um and right now it's a lot of strength and conditioning stuff um i feel um you know our people do such a tremendous job of of educating us through analytics and educating us through the technology um and having a really good understanding and my, my background is kinesiology and 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 some biomechanics stuff so i mean not that i don't spend a ton of time reading that that's probably where i lean more towards when i read but but just trying to do a lot more SNC and then um, also taking a step back, uh, spending a ton of time in mo uh, motor learning and just, you know, the, the actual um, act of coaching, how we communicate all those things. You know, I, I, again, I said this before, I, I really think just relationship building in general, if, if we are, you know, in the top 1% of that, you're going to be a really, really good coach, regardless if you're up to date in all the different disciplines. You know, and you and I have texted about the virtual clinic. Can you, anybody listening in, can you talk about why you're coming to the virtual clinic? Oh, well, first off, uh, the ABCA was, it was at the base for me of my coaching education. Um, and so being super loyal to, to what played a huge part in getting you here. Um, and, you know, I, I think about it, the first couple conventions I went to um, as a young coach, my mistake was it was a little bit more of a social event. Um, than probably what it should have been. I think we um, all go through that part too. You just, you're so excited. You see people and then there's stuff going on afterwards and it's, you know, it's that part's fun too, but makes the next morning a little bit rough, but it's, um, but yeah, I just think that's part of being a young coach too, is you're going to make some mistakes with that also. Absolutely. But you know, I find myself now, like, um, all the high school coaches, I hope you're listening to this. When when I go to the in-person deal, I go as much to the high school breakout stuff as I do anything, just because inventive people are, are going to find a way to be competitive. And our high school coaches, I, I personally feel like, I feel like there's a lot more of those guys out there doing good than than not. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm Jerry Weinstein or Tim Corbin good at writing an entire book of notes, but I, I try to take a ton of notes um, and and just try to listen and then uh, hopefully, you know, create enough questions off of that that I can try to follow up with the guys that I have questions for. But it's ABCA is, is huge. I mean, I, I think if you're going to be a coach and and, you know, there's a lot of sports that can learn from us, too. You know, we're, we're not behind 
the eight ball of being behind everyone else either. Like, you know, sometimes that impression can be, but I would say just, uh, in, you know, being involved, listening, learning, and just doing it for the right, you know, for the right reasons. Do you have a favorite story from this summer? I mean, with, with, with the site two area, do you have a favorite story? I do. I do. Um, so, uh, Tristan McKenzie made his major league debut with us. Um, and you know, I think we've all had similar to what you're talking about, about yourself, Ryan earlier, like, um, you know, some guys are just not tremendous practice players, but when anything is on the line, it's like, there's, it's not even a fifth gear. It's like a 10th gear, you know? And so, uh, I had a pretty good relationship with Tristan coming in to site two. Um, he had spent some time in Arizona, unfortunately, um, just kind of getting banged up a little bit. Um, but knowing him and, and then knowing his reputation and knowing him at the core, like how competitive that dude is, his his outings at site two, if you go back and look at the numbers, um, and he'll even tell you this, were probably not where he would like to see him. But then watching him make his major league debut, and it's like you just see the competitive dude come out. And I absolutely love that story. And then the the other one that that is so that for me is one A is just watching Tristan's transition from a you know from an environment that you, where you're not getting to play outside competition and you're around the same dudes every day and you have a two hour or two and a half hour at max a three hour block because of COVID where you can be in the building you know and and when you're in that environment at times there's a little bit of tinkering that goes on. It's like you know he was a big leaguer when he showed up to site two. You know, and it's like, well, can I make my slider this much better? You know, can I make my change up this much better? And then you start in the live BPs and to the, some of the sim games that you're playing. And it's like, you know, there's a little bit more tinkering going on than there is actually go compete and make sequences that, that are going to be conducive to success in the big leagues. And so watching him kind of go through that and then flip the switch on and then make his debut um, and how successful he was. I mean, I, I, I think his ex-FIP, you know, percentile was like in the 85th or 88th percentile or whatever it ended up being. I mean, tremendous, tremendous performance and an opportunity that he had. And then the second one, my 1B is just uh, Berto being there, um, watching him, you know, really run those, you know, run the pitching while he was there. I mean, it, it was tremendous watching how he approaches guys. You know, there's some guys he puts his arm around and, and how he talks to them. And then there's others that it's like, it's a challenge. He's going to challenge you. And you know what? Like, you're either going to rise to that occasion or not, but he's going to figure out how to communicate with you. Um, and I think if I could video anything and provide any information to any coach in this country, it would have been that part. I wish I would have done that because it was it was coaching 101 was it harder on those guys not having fans when they at the big league level was it tougher on them with no fans so uh, look the fans provide the juice yeah. i think we all know that i mean look you're watching a major league game like in the stadium um those guys are competing you know they want to win there's money on the line uh, there's contracts on the line um there's pride on the line all those th- that I wouldn't say not having fans in the stands took away from the competitive nature. I mean, we're talking about the one percent of one percent, you know. In, in but our also game. a shorter season too, so sixty games right. probably a little different and getting it going. Where maybe a one sixty two schedule with no fans 
Maybe no you get to game 145 or 150, maybe a little harder to get yourself going, but with only a 60-game schedule, Absolutely. probably not tough to get yourself going. That's correct. And so, you know, there's some positives and some negatives. But, you know, with, with any of those big league guys, I mean, the fans get you juiced, you know. I mean, they provide that. Like, um, I personally didn't play in the big league, so I don't know what, what you know, one game, you know, game 145 feels like or, or game 138 or, you know, any of those personally. Um, but I, I know just from having those conversations um, that it's not easy on your body. It's not easy on your mind. And, you know, the, the fans so much provide that, you know, it provides you that, uh, that ability. And, and I know like a, a Joe DiMaggio, the quote of like, why do you play so hard every day, Jolt and Joe? Like, well, it's because, you know, there may be somebody in the stands that's never seen me play. And, and, and I think the bulk of the players feel that way. How much training then with, especially at the younger ages with just, you talk about how hard the schedule is at times, just getting better habits, you know, sleep habits, nutrition habits, because that, that probably plays, you talked about the strength and conditioning piece, that probably plays as much or more in whether a guy makes it or not, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, our, our base level to our pitching pyramid is, is basically routines and daily habits um, and helping our guys find the most efficient routine. And, you know, the, the thing, too, that most people in professional baseball tell you is, like, some of the, the baseball at the rookie level or even some of the lower levels is not – um, as real as what it's like when you get into, you know, high A, double A, triple A. Um, and, and I think that those routines are key. Um, that's, that's a big component to whether or not you're going to have success in the future. Um, but also like a routine for what you're actually going to go through versus a routine of, you know, the lower level of what you're currently going through and making that transition and, and helping, you know, being a part of guys' lives of like, hey, this potentially will work or this potentially won't work and spending, you know, X amount of time on the things that, you know, or the right amount of time on things that are that are going to be conducive to them having success. What are your final thoughts? Oh, first off, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I, the ABCA has um, been tremendous in my life. I, you know, I, I firmly believe I wouldn't be here without it. Um, and then just to all of our coaches in our game, like keep pushing forward. Uh, don't give up, you know, like I feel like I'm, I'm in year uh, 16 or 17. God, it's, you know, I know that's not as much as a lot of other people have, but you know, th there's going to be moments where you feel burned out. There's going to be moments um, where you question, you know, what you're doing. And um, I would just say it, at those moments, find the right people that can encourage you uh, look at your players, think about the impact that you're making on people um, and just keep pushing forward because we need to keep um, all the good people that we have in this game. We need to keep them in the game coaching. I agree. All right. Tremendous. I appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. I'm looking forward to seeing you, but this is great. I've always loved seeing you, uh, our time on the road when we were recruit, uh, just our conversations always meant a lot to me. It was tremendous. I appreciate it, Ryan. Yeah. Same here. Thanks, Joel. I can't thank Coach Mangrum enough for jumping on with me. There's no downtime for pro coordinators, so I'm grateful to him for carving out time to jump on with me. This episode motivated me to continue to improve myself. I love that Joel is continuing to push himself as a coach and person. It's a great inspiration for anyone listening in. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all that are up on the podcast. 
feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh